This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. This morning we're going to carry on in our teaching about developing Christian character. And Romans chapter 8 and verse 19. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. And that term, sons of God, in the Greek is huios. It is adult sons. Those who are reflecting uh, the nature and the character of the parent. It's not merely talking about having come into relationship. John chapter 1 and verse 12 tells us what? Come on, church. What is John chapter 1? Read it for me, somebody. I don't want you to go to sleep on me. See, you get lazy. Come on. As many as received him, to them gave he the power or the authority, the right to become sons of God. There's that term again. But the term used there is not huios, it's technon. And technon is speaking purely about relationship. I'm born into a family. If I'm, as I'm born into a family, I become a son to my parents. That is relationship, that is technon. But when we start talking huios, huios is a growth that has taken place, which because of the growth that's taken place, there is a reflection from my life of the character and the nature of my parents. I've grown up. I can assume responsibility in the family. They can entrust to me a bunch of things and know that my spirit is towards the family. I've grown up there. The culture of the family is mine. The attitude and the spirit of the family is mine. I've learned under my parents and they've watched me grow. And now they say, right, he's ready to assume responsibility. It's growth. It's maturity. And God wants us to grow up. Most Christians are technon. Most Christians are born again and they sit in a church and they're like bumps on a log. All they do is warm the pew and that's all that there is. They're going to heaven. There's no doubt about it. But I want us to remember that heaven is not the goal. It's being conformed to the image of Jesus and that will bring you to a place where you become more than merely technon. You become huios. Because we start getting an understanding that we are born with purpose and God's got things that He wants to do in us and through us. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, please, for the uh, second reading that I want to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to be reading from verse 14. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Uh, but he who is spiritual. So here we have three categories of individuals. The natural man. We're going to be talking in a moment about the spiritual man. And then we're going to find in chapter 3 we have the man uh, that is carnal. And we're going to find that he is a compromised Christian. He's a guy who either hasn't grown and stayed in babyhood all the days of his life. Never developed. He is not huios. He is technon. You can't entrust anything to him. Because he is not able to handle it. 
He's not able to handle it with spiritual discernment. He's not able to have, not, because he's so small, he hasn't got the mind of Christ. When it talks about babes there, and we're going to see this, it talks about nepios in the Greek. And nepios is one who is not yet speaking. Reach the stage where I can't even really meaningfully communicate. I'm still that much of a baby. Now, I, I might be a creepy crawler, you know, I might be a rug rat, but I'm still not talking coherently. I'm not able meaningfully to communicate. I'm nepios. So verse uh, 15 says, He who is spiritual, this is the second category, and everybody in this congregation falls into one of these three categories. If you're natural, you cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. You can hear them. You can't receive them. They're foolishness to you. Neither can you know them, for the things of the Spirit of God are spiritually discerned. Then you have the spiritual man. He appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And when I have the mind of Christ, I start understanding, and this is the spiritual man who is characterized by having the mind of Christ. And this isn't situation by situation. Having the mind of Christ goes far beyond just situation by situation. Sometimes I hit it, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I have the mind of Christ, sometimes I don't. What he is talking about is we have the mind of Christ because my mind understands what it is that my purpose is in the earth. Just like Jesus said, I say only the things I hear the Father say. And I'm able to discern between what the Father is saying and what I'm feeling the Father is saying. And there is a difference many times. And I do only the things I see the Father do. Where do I see the Father do things? When Jesus was intimate with the Father, separated himself from the hustle and bustle of life, he spent time in the presence of the Father, he transitioned into that spirit realm where all of us can live, and I believe God wants us to live, and when we are huios, we will learn to live, and we operate there and we see the will of the Father in action, and we come and we bring that will into the earth, doing in the earth what we see the Father do in the spirit realm. That's having the mind of Christ. I don't have my agenda. I don't go and do the things that I want to do if what I want to do is not in line with what God wants for me to do. We're talking growth. And then we have a look at um, verse 1 of chapter 3. I, brethren, couldn't speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh as to infants in Christ. Your, your King James Version will say, babes in Christ, nepios, not yet speaking, not newly born, might be a little bit older, might even be on a, a measure of, of food that's a little bit more substantive than, 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 uh, than, than milk, but you're a babe, you're nepios, you're not yet talking. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you are not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now, you are not yet able to receive it. For you are still, here comes a word we're going to deal with today, fleshly. Say fleshly. Say, I have to kill the flesh. <laughs> God doesn't kill your flesh. We kill our flesh. Amen? Say, I've got flesh. <laughs> the person next to you didn't say it. Just nudge them. Say, 
<laughs> For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? In other words, that is what the natural man does. He can't help doing it because his nature is still the fallen nature. That characterizes the man who is not yet born again. Jealousy, envy, strife. Listen, I speak to, to Christians who've broken into, into areas of, of corporate life. And they sit and they say, I hate corporate America. Not as an institution. But I hate it because it is backstabbing, Hello? People climb all over you and they'll smile to your face and they're shafting you at the same time. See? That's what you expect in the world. Now, unfortunately, you, you find it in the church even though you shouldn't expect to find it in the church. That's just an indication that we are fleshly, walking like mere natural men. And God says, why are you living at such, at such a a low level of life when I've called you and provided for you to be able to live up here. See? So we're talking about Christian character. Christian character. Character is who I am. Who I am. Uh, I was one thing before I got born again. But when I got born again, I became a brand new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says that if any man or woman be in Christ, they are a brand new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And verse 18 says, and all those things are of God. Now listen to me. If that is the case, don't just automatically accept the fact that everything that was of the old life has passed away in manifestation. It hasn't. Ask your marriage partner. Come on. Come on. You're supposed to be a brand new creation. I mean, if you're this ugly and you're born again, how bad were you before you were born again? Come on. No, you see, legally that is our position. But we need to realize this. There are certain things that we have to do in order to realize and experience that fullness of life that Jesus is talking about. It's being conformed to the image of Jesus, which immediately speaks to me of process. It's nothing that happens overnight. There's not an anointing that can bring character into your life. Character is who I am. Now, in Christ, I'm all these things and I can run off a list. But quite frankly, are they manifesting in my life? And if they're not manifesting in my life, why? You see, Jesus uh, makes statements like, If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. What is he talking about? Yes, he, he did that at Calvary. But I want you to know there is a place, I believe, where we lift him up in our lives every day and men are drawn to him because they can't understand how we can walk at a level of life way above where they are. How do you do that? That's lifting Jesus up. When everybody's having a blue Monday, you do not have blue Mondays. You cross blue Mondays off your calendar. You do not have bad hair days, spiritually speaking. Okay? You do not have bad hair days. 
See, what a, why? I'm a new creature in Christ. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. That should be our attitude and our approach every time. And we learn through process, through growth, to monitor. We monitor our responses in given situations. We learn to keep our mouths closed. Just because the emotion is rising on the inside of us does not mean wisdom is dictating we open our mouths because invariably we're going to spew out something that at some stage we're going to have to go back and retrieve. Ever been there? Shh, you know. Oh, he likes to shoot from the hip. <laughs> he'll, he'll end up crippled. <laughs> he'll shoot himself in the foot yet before, you know. Okay. Now, so the potential for change is inside me because the greater one lives there. Let's talk for a moment about anointing. You see, if I have a look at Romans 8, 19, all of creation groans, waiting for a manifestation of the sons, the adult sons of God. They will carry with them an anointing. Isaiah 10, 27. It's the anointing that destroys the yoke. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke off the person. It's the anointing. An anointing is carried by somebody into a given situation in order for that anointing to set people free. The anointing is not for the person who's anointed. The anointing is not for thee. It's for others. So if you're looking for an anointing, wonderful. God has got plenty of it. But I want you to understand what anointing is. Anointing is, listen, very simply put, the approval of God. That's what it is. It's God's approval. God realizes that you and I are limited by our natural bodies in this earth. There are certain things that we don't know, certain things we cannot do of ourselves. That's when anointing kicks in. And anointing is God's approval. God does not anoint what He hasn't ordered. The tabernacle of Moses gets completed. God gives him instructions. You, I want you to set this tabernacle. For what purpose? That I may dwell in the midst of my people. And God gives him the design and God gives him the plan and says that's where the tabernacle is to go. These are the dimensions. This is how, what the furnishings are to be. And then the nation will surround it. All the tribes round about. I want to dwell in the midst of my people. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 46 says that which was first was not spiritual but natural and afterwards that which is spiritual. The law principle being that God wants to dwell in the midst of His people and if I want an understanding of what He wants to do with us today, I have a look at what He did with Old Testament Israel. He wanted to dwell in the midst of His people. He wanted to be the center and the focus of all that they did. Every time that they moved, they only moved because the, the, the pillar of of, of of cloud or the pillar of fire moved or the cloud moved. God moved first and then they moved. We run ahead of God. We, some of us don't have any understanding of what cloud and pillar of fire is. It's, it's a manifestation of the presence of God. We're so far away from it. We're under skies. The sun's burning down. That's wonderful. Only problem is you do that in a desert situation. You get burned up. A lot of Christians getting burned up. Why? You're out of step with God. 
But God says, this is what I want to do. And when Moses had done everything according to the pattern that he had seen in the mountain, everything was complete according exactly as God. God put his presence there. That's anointing. Now we want the anointing of God. Same thing with Solomon. Solomon built the house, not David. And Solomon builds the house of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And when it was finished, it was done exactly as God ordained. And then God put His presence there. God does not put His presence on things that we have conceived that are out of line with what He wants. God doesn't bless that just because we say, oh, God bless. And this is one of the problems in the church today. We come up with our programs, we come up with our thoughts, and we say, oh, God, we really feel this is a good way to go. Bless it, Lord. And God doesn't bless that. And that's where most, most churches are at. We're spinning our wheels because we've got programs that look good, they look godly, and all the rest of it, and God hasn't blessed them. So they're not getting prospering. They're not prospering, okay? Now, he has another statement concerning anointing. So anointing is the sanction of God. He has another statement. Anointing comes out of character. And this is important. And so it follows that all meaningful ministry flows out of fellowship with God. I see, I don't have to strive to do this. I don't have to work at it. It is the natural consequence of being plugged into the vine. John chapter 15, Jesus talks about the vine. You can have a branch that looks like it's part of the vine. But if it's not connected, the life of the vine is not flowing into the branch. And that branch will not produce fruit. The branch that's connected to the vine doesn't have to strive. It doesn't have to go on a special course. It doesn't have to go along and learn techniques of producing fruit. It doesn't have to study to do it. It stays connected to the vine and it automatically produces fruit. It doesn't have to press it out. It doesn't have to sweat it. There's nothing that needs to be birthed because it is merely the vehicle which carries the life of the vine in it and the life of the vine produces the fruit. And that's where we're, a lot of Christians are striving to do things for God. God doesn't need our help, folks. See? And much of ministry today comes out of the flesh. Either we're wanting to do or needing to do something for God. And God calls it dead works or flesh. This is a second dimension activity. We need to understand that. Getting back to the teaching of the tabernacle. Three dimensions. The outer court. That's dimension number one. Those are born again believers who come in. Babes in Christ. They're technon. They're nepios. They're in there. And dimension one is characterized by all of man. Everything is me. I've got to work for God. I've got to do this for God. I've got to do that for God. Like God needs our help. No, no, I, I, is this all right? Not too heavy? You're still breathing? Okay. So that, that's first dimension. But you see, that is not the ultimate. I'm, I'm in the perimeter fencing, and that's wonderful, but that's not where God wants me to be. The perimeter fencing is to keep certain people out, but it's to include certain people. God has a better place for me. And the second dimension is the inner court. That goes beyond... The outer court. It's the inner court. But that in itself 
is second dimension. That is where it's God and man working together. That's where David was. That's why David, oh, he's a man, he's got blood on his hands. That wasn't it. David was striving to do a number of things. And God said, you're not going to build a house. You and I cannot build a house while we're in warfare. Listen. We cannot build the house while we're in warfare. That which was first was not spiritual but natural, and afterwards that which is spiritual. 1 Corinthians 15, 46. Principle is this. Have a look at what God is doing in the natural and bring across a spiritual parallel and you'll get some understanding of what God's saying. We are striving to impress God. God's impressed with you. If you're in Christ, He's impressed with you. You don't have to do anything for God. What we've got to learn to do is take our hands off trying to do things for God. See, second dimension is God and man working together. And that's what we're going to deal with today because you're going to find this is what flesh is. Now I've asked somebody to come up here and help me. And who is it that's going to be doing that? Doug, come on up here, guy. Are you, with, are you out there? Thank you. You see, this is, this is where a lot of us run into confusion. Great, thank you. Come on up here. Now he's got a flight suit on. And uh, Doug, just move yourself around here. Just do some exercise. Can you, are, you, are, you, are you in good physical condition? Can you do a couple of... Okay. Okay. Now, I want you to see this is Doug. Okay. Have a look. Wait, he's, he's moving around here. Um, now, what we're going to do is we're going to undress Doug. Now, don't get too excited. Okay. All right, Doug, would you take that off for us, please? Thank you. And uh, let's just put this, take your helmet off. Okay. Thank you so much. We'll put this up here. Okay. And I'll help you and take this. There we go. All right. Now, great. Now, you saw, you saw Doug jumping around here. Come stand over here for a moment, would you? Thank you. Okay. Now, Doug was wearing that suit. All right, suit, jump around. Come on. Why am I getting no response? There's no life in it. Thanks, Doug. Thank you. Hey, let's give Doug a round of applause. Yeah, thank you. You see, go with me to Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, because when we talk about flesh, we need to understand what we're dealing with. A fleshly activity can look so good and even appear to be so necessary, but if God never ordered it, it is dead works. In the life of the Christian, dead works are works that I'm doing that God never told me to do, even if they are legitimate. Here we've got Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. 
I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your... What's the next word? Bodies. Now, a living sacrifice. The problem with a living sacrifice is it always wants to get off the altar of sacrifice. That means there has to be a daily sacrificing of the body. But the body's not the problem. Your body has no will of its own. Here I took Doug, put him into a suit. This suit represents our earth suit, the body. When you, the spirit being, like Doug, got out of that body, here the body is, and it has no life. You give life to that body. Without you in this body, this body cannot do what you were doing with it before. This body represents your vehicle in the earth. That's all that it is. It doesn't have a mind of its own. It can't make decisions. It can't feel. When you've taken, you have walked out of it, you've taken the life out of it, it's dead. And dead people don't feel. Dead people don't think. Now, that verse tells us you to bring your body. And in actual fact, our body is representative of what we are thinking. Your body doesn't do anything of its own. Your mind tells your body what to do. So the mind is the seat of the intellect, the soul, the emotions. See? And here we've got a body that is now dead because the life was taken out of it. It cannot think. It cannot come to conclusions. It cannot make deductions. It's dead because there's no life in it. That's why your body is not your problem. When the Word of God talks about flesh, it's not talking flesh and bone and sinew and cells and all that. It's not talking that. When it talks about that you bring your body, that is speaking in actual fact of having an attitude of heart that enables us to continually, listen, die to ourselves what we want. Because the definition of flesh, spiritually speaking, is not this. Flesh is my will exercised against God's will. And when you got born again, God never took from you your will to say no. You still got it. How many of you have ever said no to God when God said yes? God said, turn right, and you said, I'm not going to. You exercise, you're in the flesh. See, that had nothing to do with your body. It's an attitude of heart. And sacrificing flesh has got to be a daily exercise if we want God's approval, God's anointing on our lives. If the world is going to see God in our lives and the nature and the character of God, we are going to have to put to death, put on the altar of sacrifice our individual wills. I want to sulk. 
Well, let me ask you a question. Is it God's will that you sulk? Show me a scripture that says the, the will of the Lord is that you will spend two days a week sulking. Every time you have an altercation with your wife, it's the will of the Lord that you sulk. For in sulking, you will reap wisdom. <laughs> Come on now. That's nonsense. Go to James chapter 4 and verse 17. James chapter 4 and verse 17. Now here is the scripture, because we're talking about character development, developing Christian character. Okay? Yeah, don't be like a lot of South Africans. South African church has reached a rather interesting stage, and I, I think that they're at a crossroads. And I think that there is a danger of something happening, that tremendous move of the Spirit of God there. There's a danger in them reverting back to more religious kind of tradition, if they're not very careful. When Joan got back from South Africa, she, she was sharing with me, her, her perception was that a lot of Christians there, they know a lot of word, but a lot of Christians have reached a stage where they have, separated their Christian experience from the rest of their lives. Before you are anything, before you are a husband or a wife or a son or a daughter, before you are a professional person, before you are whatever work you work in, before you are that, you're a born-again believer. And you cannot divorce any other facet of your life from the fact that you are born again. That is that, that is fundamental. It is basic. And we need to understand this because James chapter 4, verse 17 makes certain demands on us. It confronts us with, 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 with a challenge. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do, the right thing to do, now not, not the convenient thing to do, the right thing to do, and does not do it, to him it is sin. And, you know, we, we need to realize that there are certain things that we need to do. There, I don't need God to tell me to do certain things. I don't need to have a leading from the Lord. I don't have to, have to preface my comment with, the Lord told me to do this. These are things that I do because if Jesus was walking this earth at that psychological moment in time, He would have done it. And as a Christian, I need to do them. But you see, we conveniently move those away because if they put us out, if it means I'm going to be inconvenienced, if it should cost me a little bit more of my personal private time, I'm not going to do it. And I, I, I put it to you that we are losing out a lot on the development of Christian character because we are not wanting to do things that we know we ought to be doing. It's just not convenient for us. Flesh is a spiritual word for my attitude of heart. God wants me to do something, I don't want to do it. That's an attitude of heart. It has nothing to do with my body. 
my body just responds to the dictates of the computer upstairs. Flesh is my will against God. And I'm sorry to have to say that flesh is manifest in the church. The interesting thing about this, as I'm looking at it, is this. The natural man cannot walk in the flesh. The natural man who doesn't know God cannot walk in the flesh. Walking in the flesh is the experience of a Christian. It's a compromised Christian, a guy who just is not prepared to. His attitude of heart hasn't changed. The natural man does certain things because he's got a fallen nature. But you do not have a fallen nature. See? And as a born-again believer, you experience daily, situation by situation, an opportunity to make a choice, either God's way or my way. And when you go your way against God's way, you're in the flesh. Let me ask you a question, just to stimulate your thinking. Where is the world's harvest? Where's the world's harvest? world's harvest is not in the world. world's harvest is in the church. The church is the winnowing floor. The church is the place where people make decisions. Oh, they might occasionally out there, but I'll tell you, what happens to people who come in under the sound of the gospel? This is the winnowing floor. God takes the fork, the winnowing fork, and He throws everything up in the air. Everything that comes in out of the world into a barn from a field is not the harvest. Come on. There's a process that needs to be undertaken. Where does that take place? Out in the field again? In the barn. They separate the harvest from that which is not the harvest. Where? In the barn. Welcome to the barn. People come in under the sound of the gospel. They make a choice. Life is full of decisions. God throws us up in the air, gets us all turned around, throws a whole bunch of things at us. The Holy Spirit blows across our lives. And that which is of God stays. That's your harvest. Bring the people in and you'll find out what the harvest is. Harvest is not in the world. The harvest is the end result of the process of being subjugated or, or exposed to the move of the Spirit of God. And there are those who get blown away and there are those who say, this is for me, and they stay. That's your harvest. And that's what you take and you sow. And when the harvest learns to go and be sown and die in the world, it will bring forth greater harvest. You'll bring them in. You'll bring them in. I'll be lifting up Christ. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men in my life. I'm going to give of myself and give of myself and give of myself so that they say, wow, I just can't resist this. Where, do you, where are you learning this? Bring them in. And the, the, the Lord will throw us up in the air and the Spirit of God will blow across us and that which remains is going to be harvest. Go away, think about it. I said, I just wanted to simulate your thinking. Just the thought. See? Now, 
So if I don't want flesh standing in my way of God's will in my life, I'm going to have to learn to put the flesh to death. Let me give you uh, some signs of flesh that are in our lives. A very, very practical one. Spirit of the Lord showed me. And, and uh, this is flesh. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Okay? So, here I'm aware of somebody who needs a ride. Needs a ride to church. I've got a vehicle. They don't have a vehicle. They want to get there. They've got no other way to get there but walk. But I've got a vehicle. God blessed me with a vehicle. But they happen to be eight miles out of my way. But I've, I've learned that they need a, a ride. But I don't do it because it's going to inconvenience me. It's going to put me out. And who knows, they may get that used to it that they're going to expect it every week. I'll let that one hang there. See, because when we start talking about we want the anointing flowing, you get me to preaching on this stuff, this is where we this is where home base is. There are certain things I do not have to have God tell me to do. There are certain things that in my spirit just go off like that. That person needs a ride. Why do you think the Spirit of God is ministering it to me? Because he wants me to get involved with answering and sol and solving their problem. Now, if you do it with the wrong attitude, forget about being blessed in it. What about the person in the body who's always going to do it his or her way? They won't work with the body. They're always otherwise. They, they, quite frankly, every church has got them. They're the proverbial pain in the neck. They're not teachable. They're not willing to receive truth that's going to be their way or, you know, uh, Romans chapter 16 talks a little bit about this. Verses 17 and 18, I'll read it to you. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you have learned and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites, their own agendas, their own goals. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Churches have got them. person who knows it all is going to do it his way. And he knows nothing. And he's going to lead people astray. The Word of God gives us instruction there. It's arrogance and pride that's at the root of what they do. Now, if we don't deal with our flesh, we need to understand what we're doing. We're opening our lives to the operation of the enemy in our lives. When I'm operating in the flesh, that is legal ground on which demons can stand and operate. Remember, flesh is my will against God's will. So God doesn't have two wills in that situation. There's not a plan B with God. 
And if I'm operating in the flesh, it means I'm not operating in the will of God. And thereby, I'm exposed to Satan. Let me read for you James chapter 3 and verse 15. It addresses this. Verse 15 says, This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, watch the next word, demonic. I want you to see that progression. The attitude of heart is, when it's against God, it starts off earthly, natural, and then becomes demonic. And it's ground on which the demons can stand, and God loving you with everything that God is capable of loving you cannot deliver you out of that situation when you have set your will against God's will in your life. God says left, and you say, I'm not, go I'm not going there. You're operating in a place that's called flesh, and that is ground for demonic influence. Uh, we don't have the time to go into it, but go for, you, for yourself. Um, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. Timothy makes reference, uh, Paul makes reference there to Timothy, talking about Alexander the goldsmith and Hymenius, who went along and they've made shipwreck of many people's lives. But now if you trace back Alexander, you'll find that Alexander is the son of Simon of Cyrene, who carried the cross of Jesus. He's the brother of Rufus. And you see him at one stage in, in Acts, around about Acts 19, he actually is a very strong proponent of the gospel. He supports it. He actually defends it there. There is a public situation, and he gets up and he declares that certain things. But you see, his, his, his persuasion, strong though it was, was something out of the flesh. And he never ever dealt with the flesh. It sounded good. It sounded right. And at that time, it produced results. But later on, Paul comes along and Paul wants to minister to him and he won't receive Paul's ministry. And he gets offended. And he leaves. And in actual fact, this is where the demonic influence comes in. It takes control of his life and turns him away from the gospel and away from Christ. And he becomes one of the strongest enemies. And Paul, at the end of his days, says, Alexander the goldsmith, God is going to have to deal with him. God help him because he's going to be held accountable for the things that he did against me. So Paul says. So here's a guy who started off over here, and his, his, his father carried the cross. Where did he end up? Right over there. Because he refused to deal with flesh. We have, a, we have an authority and an ability above Satan, but I want you to know, he's the master of deception. He's the and if you buy in on his lies and you keep going there, get people around about you who can give you sound spiritual counsel and listen to their counsel if you trust them and, and don't get counsel from people you don't trust then. But if you trust them, take their counsel and get yourself straightened out. Don't, don't stay in the flesh. Then what about the person who gossips? This is the person who's eager to pass on the latest news, especially if it's spicy and especially if it'll put somebody else down. It can be criticism negativism, uh, and it always starts this way. I don't know if you've heard, but it's gossip. See? This is the kind of person whose attitude is, is never positive. 
Uh, we're going to believe God for the building. And this is what that person would be saying. I'll never get it. It'll never happen. Uh, James chapter 3 and verse 2, I'm not going to read it, but it tells us there, it talks about the tongue and goes on to talk about bits in horses' mouths and, and the small rudder that can turn a huge ship around. So it parallels those two with, with the tongue and its ability to turn your body and your way of life away from God and blessing and eventually you'll become a spiritual shipwreck with all your knowledge. You'll flounder on the shoals of life. And then, uh, then you've got the person who's like, and, and again, I think most churches have got them. Most churches who do counseling have got these. Uh, the black hole Christian. They're able to suck in an infinite amount of counseling from any amount of people without any change or apparent improvement. I mean, they just suck your time, you know. Spiritual vampires, right? Yeah, they, they have an insatiable appetite to be the center of attention. But they have no serious intention of letting God bring about the change in their lives. No intention. But I want to take your time. I want you to give me attention. I want you to focus on me. And I'll set up a weekly program of, of counseling with you. And it goes on ad nauseum. But there's no change. It's flesh. It's flesh. Then you've got the person in the church that's always saying, the Lord told me so. Oh, sorry about that, but that, it's reached a stage where that's exactly how I feel. The Lord told me. Now, I'm not saying for one minute that God doesn't speak. He does. But you see, when everything that you do, the Lord told me so, the Lord told me so. Do you know that this is, oh, the Lord told me that was going to happen. The Lord told me that, and the Lord, rubbish. That's flesh. You are trying to promote, you're trying to portray yourself as being more spiritual than you are. That's nonsense. As your pastor, I'm telling you, that's flesh. Do away with it. God does not reveal to you everything that's going on. Quite frankly, there are not that many people that are that mature in God that He would trust that to. Okay, well. And then, of course, you've got the other one that, that nobody knows about but they themselves. Now we're talking flesh, and we're talking about no manifestation, in the, but you wonder why their lives never take off? They cheat on their tax returns. We're talking character. You find there, 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 there are things that are uh, uh, deductible, and you know what they are legally. If you don't, consult somebody who can help you. But don't lie. We're talking character. We're talking character. It's getting real quiet here. Now, the issue is this. So I'm, I'm dealing, and listen, that is by no means an exhaustive list. You, you do realize that. There are a whole lot of other things that we could have included there. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Turn across there very quickly, please, would you? Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. Uh, this is a little bit heavy this morning, is it? Who's, who's, still, who's still quite happy with me? You know, I mean, you mightn't be thrilled, but you're still reasonable. Okay. Have a look at verse 16, would you? Now, you see, this is where we want to get, because next week it gets real positive, but, but let's, let's, let's just bridge this. This I say, 
Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. He's not saying, please try to walk in the Spirit. He's not saying, if you're able to, walk in the Spirit. It's an instruction. Walk in the Spirit. And when I'm walking in the Spirit, I will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. There is every likelihood when I'm not walking in the Spirit, I'm going to fulfill the lusts of the flesh. In fact, if I have a look at that verse and play around with the words, I can say that when I'm walking in the flesh, I am not walking in the Spirit. Can I say that? Yeah. Right, I think, I think that's fair enough. I can accept that. So today we're dealing with the fight. Flesh or faith? Now I have to recognize what is flesh and bring it to a place where it is sacrificed every day in every situation. And it won't be at the beginning of the day only. Because the flesh is my will against God's will. So here I'm confronted during the course of a day with a number of decision-making situations. Uh, might be half a dozen, might be uh, ten, might be two. But I'm going to have more than one every day. Well, Lord, what do I need to do here? My will or your will? And right at that point, it should never be a question, my will or your will. It should be, what do you want done? And my will immediately goes onto the altar and is sacrificed. I don't care how I feel, God. I don't care what it says to me, what it may, if it makes me feel comfortable or not comfortable, whether in the natural it profits me or not. If I've sworn to my hurt, that's the way I've got to swear. If I've committed myself with my words, I do not retract. If I told him I'm going to be there, I'm going to be there. Lord, what do I do in this situation? It doesn't make any difference if it inconveniences me. If I've got to have dinner 45 minutes late because I took somebody home, that's okay. I'm talking real stuff now. Sacrifice the flesh in every situation, every day, if you want to walk in the Spirit. Because without walking in the Spirit, there is not going to be any of God's approval on your life. And there can be no anointing, and therefore the life that God wants emanating from you can't flow. We're talking real Christian stuff. This is why you don't have to get a program on how to go and evangelize. You're the evangelist. Your life is your calling card. You just walk around and people will be drawn to Jesus because they see the life of God emanating from you. So if I'm walking in the flesh, I cannot be walking in faith. I can't be walking in the flesh in this area and faith in this area. God's not confused, we're confused. That just shows how much second dimensional people we are. Flesh, me, faith, God. David was second dimension. It's God and man working together. Sometimes it's me, and I repent, and then sometimes it's God. And oh, I love it, and I wish there was more of it, but I am not crucifying the flesh, so the result is the flesh stays alive. And the problem with that sucker on the altar of sacrifices, he keeps getting up. Now, if I'm in the flesh, I cannot be in faith at the same time. Flesh is of me and not of God. 
Galatians 5.16, walk in the Spirit. And then you get verses 19, the deeds of the flesh are given to us there. That's not an exhaustive list. But go across to verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is. The fruit of the Spirit is. The fruit of walking in the Spirit is. The fruit of walking in the Spirit is. So if I'm not walking in the Spirit, this fruit can't be manifest in my life. Okay? This is what Paul battled with in Romans chapter 7, verses 21 through 25. This is where he said, oh man, I don't know what to do. There is a part of me that wants to do this, and yet I find myself doing this. And the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And the things that I should be doing, I'm not able to do. This is what he was battling with at that time. Oh, wretched man, who will deliver me from this body of death? And in Christ Jesus, it's done. But I want you to know, it doesn't get done without your working with Him. You've got to put the flesh to death. Otherwise, it doesn't happen. Two last scriptures to, to close with. John chapter 15. Just go across there, please, would you? John chapter 15. Because you see, if I want the abundant life, the things that are got to be dealt with first have got to be dealt with and put out of the way. Otherwise, they hinder, they obstruct, they, there is not a consistent flow. And that's what we're looking at because the third dimension living is all God. That's when man is not in the way. That's the holy of holies when we get back to the tabernacle picture. That's where it's all God. That is not in a time to come. That is in my life here and now. That is part of my growth and my development, where I recognize, according to John 12, 24, that unless I, as a corn of wheat, fall into the ground and die, I abide alone. But if I die, I will bring forth an abundant harvest. That's what I'm called to do, bring forth an abundant harvest. By doing what? Dying. So that what can happen? The life of God can flow through me. And I don't even know it's happening. I don't have to strive. I don't have to go to special teachings that, that, that tell me step by step how to do this. It is the result of intimate interaction with God on an ongoing basis. Not just daily, but moment by moment in situation after situation in life. And as a consequence of that, the life of God flows. I'm not leaning to my own understanding. Have a look here in verse 4. John 15, two verses and I'm closing. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you, what? Bear fruit. And that's what we call to do. We cannot bear fruit unless you abide in me. That doesn't mean visit me. That doesn't mean occasionally vacation with me. It means live in me. Have a look at verse 7. If, now underline that first word, because that first word is very important. That means, if you abide in me, that means that there is a place where I might not be abiding in him. If you abide in me, and if my word abides in you. Now we're starting to talk about superabundant life. If you abide in me, and if 
my word abides in you. Look at the next statement. You can ask whatever you want and it's going to be done. We don't believe that. I'll tell you why we don't believe, because we're not abiding. Oh, we've got a lot of word up here. But you see, having word in my head, if it's not translated into my spirit and doesn't impact my spirit and cause my spirit man to start dominating, that's what God wants. We've got people out there who are demon-possessed. God wants His people Holy Ghost-possessed. Spirit, soul, and body under the control of the Holy Ghost. This is how it comes about when I'm abiding in Him and He's abiding in me and I'm listening to the words that He speaks and submitting to them all the time. I've got that sucker called flesh on that altar of sacrifice. It raises its head. I'm going to crack it one more time. I want it unconscious there. It's got to stay there. It's not allowed to come off. Why? Because only then do I experience life. And then God can speak to me. And he says, go and do this and go and do that. Fetching that person eight miles out of your way, dying to yourself so that life can be brought in ways that you probably haven't even thought of. Learning to control my flesh so that my flesh cannot deny the presence and the power and the flow of God's life in my life is, in, is essential if you're going to bear fruit that's going to count for eternity. Now, I know this isn't a rah-rah kind of, kind of teaching, but I want you to understand something. Not everything in life is rah-rah. If I don't get character right, if I don't get character right, developed, it means I haven't fellowshiped enough with the Father. Because if I'm fellowshipping with the Father and He's speaking into my life, He is going to tell me things that are going to require of me change. And only I can change myself. And as I change, I'm being conformed to the image of Jesus. And when God is pleased with that, He puts His stamp of approval called anointing on it. And I don't have to strive and I don't have to wait for goosebumps. I just keep walking with Him and I start impacting the lives of people around me. Father, we want to bless you for your word. You're awesome. We give you thanks. We pray that all that you've shared with us this morning will become real in our lives. You've touched us in some areas where, Lord, we've got to make changes and we've got to repent of doing things that were obviously fleshly. Attitudes and thoughts and conduct. But we do love you. And we pray that by your Spirit, that which you've imparted will come alive on the inside of us and enable us through increased intimacy with you, create within us a hunger. Oh, that I might know you and the power of your resurrection. Let this be the cry of our hearts. Thank you for your goodness to us. And as we go into this week, we thank you that you are still working in us. You haven't given up on us. You're working in us 
And we pray that as a consequence, the lives of others are going to be touched. We bless you for our time together now. In Jesus' name, amen.